Saranai. Can I double check that the sound is alright? Wonderful. So today we're here again for another Poya and I'd like to welcome everybody. Hope that everybody is well. And today we're going to be looking at stream entry. So the sutta that we're going to be looking at is the Veludvarya Sutta, which is in Sangyutta Nikaya, the linked discourses, and it's discourse number seven. And it's advice to lay people about entering the stream. So today we're going to look at everything around stream entry, uh, activating the eye of the Dhamma, uh, what stream entry actually means, uh, looking at some of the Pali words, and just bringing together some of the things that we already practice, but to actually look at our goal and entering the stream and developing the path. And the Buddha's teachings and the, the ones of the Noble Arahants are very helpful for us to try and understand, to try and uh, almost like remind us, encourage us that we're on the right track, that we're with the right group of people, and and to also clarify maybe some of the things that we've heard even around stream entry. So what we'll cover today is we'll do the usual tips and reminders about the session. Then we'll go into a bit of a broad session on stream entry, like some of the key points, some of the key words, just so we understand what we're talking about. And then also we'll look at a brief overview and introduction to the Veludvarya Sutta and what did the lay people actually request of the Buddha. Then after that, we'll go into more of the detail about the Buddha's actual instructions to the lay people. And that's probably where we'll spend most of the time because uh, there's probably things that we already know that we already practice. But in terms of always developing the path, whether we're stream enterers or more or, or not even stream enterers, that's beside the point. It's more about understanding how do we develop and grow because every teaching from the Buddha is always encouraging us to develop the Noble Eightfold Path, to actually understand it better, to actually develop it better, and then also to help others. And so there's always a very strong encouragement to lay people, particularly when it comes to things around stream entry and the questions that lay people have asked of the Buddha. And Buddha's you know, strong encouragement to actually develop certain things. And although it may not seem apparent, but Many, many of the times, Buddha is actually encouraging more than just the Noble Eightfold Path. Buddha is also encouraging enlightenment factors such as the spiritual faculties, the Indriyas, the Balas, which are the powers, the Bojangas, which are the enlightenment factors specifically, and more. And uh, so these are the things that we're going to, to kind of pull out of, of this teaching. And of course, we'll look at other suttas as well because it's always helpful to reinforce and understand what the Buddha says from other suttas, other teachings, particularly if we don't understand. 
And then lastly, we'll look at, you know, meditating or practicing this sutta to see how we actually do that. And it's actually relatively straightforward. But as always, there's always layers to the way Buddha teaches. So at first glance, it seems straightforward. But as you pull away more layers, more depth to the Buddha's teaching, the more insight you, you create from meditation, you see that there's actually more there. And so that's the wonderful thing about the Buddha's teaching. He says, listen to more Dhamma, penetrate it more, contemplate it more, investigate it more, and see what you find. See what you find for yourself. And then we'll go into questions and, and answers. So tips and reminders as usual, you know, keep an open mind. Uh, these are sometimes words that we've heard before, but it's always good to see whether we can, uh, you know, learn something new. Uh, it's always good to listen with fresh ears. Then also be okay if we don't understand something because, you know, there might be things that we touch on that are, you know, intermediate, advanced type level. That's okay. It, it means that, well, you know, if there's something to be said, will do so, but at the same time, it's okay if you don't understand, maybe it's for later. And then remember that we're all learners. So even like when you think about Sotapanna, so the stream entry, you think about the Sakatagami, the once returner, you think about the Anagami, which is the non-returner. You know, these are categories of, of types of people. They're also learners. You know, they haven't achieved the, the goal yet. They're not fully enlightened. They're not Arahants. And so whether you're, you know, classify yourself as somewhere, you know, far, far below or somewhere in between or, or up to any of these stages, it doesn't really matter. We're all learners. And so we're here to learn, to grow and to develop the path. And then <clears throat> if we do have some time for meditation, then, you know, we apply ourselves to the meditation. Uh, today there may not actually be a meditation session just because of this type of sutta but it may there may be pauses in order to actually take in some of the words when we get to the depth of uh, the buddha's instructions and that's the time to just really turn that question over in your mind when that when that time comes and then also uh, using our own examples is always very good you know to put it from our own perspective so if that's the case then let's do so and of course you know on this session today it's not easy to come to Dhamma it's not easy to wake up early particularly in Sri Lanka um, but anywhere else around the world you know we have good wishes for all beings seen and unseen and those that have helped us to come here today those that are supporting us in all aspects of our lives and you know everyone that's helping us around this Dhamma practice we have good wishes, gratitude, appreciation. Okay, I thought I'd start with a reminder about this sutta called Anivarana Sutta. So you might remember this if you uh, were there for the Poya session where we were going through learning and studying. And this was one of the things that uh, we drew out when we did this session where the Buddha says, when a noble disciple listens to the Dhamma with eager ears, attending to it as a matter of vital concern, directing his whole mind to it, on that occasion the five hindrances are not present in him. On that occasion the seven factors of enlightenment go to fulfillment or development. So the reason I put this at the start is that when we listen 
and we listen eagerly, very attentively, we're not distracted. You know, this is our opportunity for the five hindrances to settle down, to not be present, to not arise. And so there's a lot of uh, the Buddha's words in this particular session. So it's very helpful just to um, attend to it. Don't worry about anything else that's going around, uh, around you if you can. Uh, don't worry about what's going to happen later. But just be, you know, with this session now. And if you do so, then it's easier to actually learn, easier to actually consolidate what you already know. So it's just a kind reminder. Okay, so we're going to start with the key points on stream entry. So I'm going to go in with the, with, with a bang. So the first one is about Dhamma Chaku, so the Dhamma Eye. So some of you may or may not have heard of this. But Buddha always talks about how beneficial it is to obtain the Dhamma Eye or the Eye of the Dhamma. Because when you do so, it's because you've entered the stream. And you know, you've started to develop the path. So I'll read this sutta, which is the Nakasika Sutta. It's in the Sangyutta Nikaya. And these are the linked discourses, chapter 13, and it's the first discourse. So the Buddha says, What do you think, monks? Which is greater? The little bit of dust I have picked up with the tip of my fingernail, or the great earth? And so the answer that comes is, the great earth is far greater, Lord. The little bit of dust the Blessed One has picked up with the tip of his fingernail is next to nothing. It is not a hundredth, a thousandth, a one hundred thousandth. This little bit of dust the Blessed One has picked up with his, the tip of his fingernail when compared with the great earth. And so then the Buddha says, in the same way, monks, for a disciple of the Noble Ones who is consummate in view, an individual who has broken through to stream entry, the suffering and stress that is totally ended and extinguished is far greater. That which remains in the state of having at most seven remaining lifetimes is next to nothing. It's not a hundredth, a thousandth, a one hundred thousandth when compared with the previous mass of suffering. That's how great the benefit is of breaking through to the Dhamma monks. That's how great the benefit it is of obtaining the Dhamma eye. So this sutta is actually lovely because... Buddha's really reminding us that, you know, the whole mass of suffering, if we don't actually walk this Noble Eightfold Path, if we don't understand Dhamma, we don't penetrate the Dhamma, then the whole mass of suffering is as great as the Great Earth, or more actually. But if you enter the stream, if you come to the Buddha's teaching, then as a Sotapanna, as a stream enterer, you only have seven lifetimes, which is literally like this you know bit of dust on the buddha's fingertip literally next to nothing compared to what we would endure if we had innumerable countless lifetimes and there are other suttas like this uh, in the same chapter where buddha also uses the simile of a tip of the blade of grass you know water on the tip of the blade of grass versus water in a pond and another one is you know two or three drops of water versus the great ocean and so Buddha's giving these similes to say actually the Dhamma eye is really, really important. And so that's the reason why Buddha promoted, particularly amongst lay people, why entering the stream is something that is tantamount to what can be done as householders. So we'll look at a few Pali words before we go into 
a bit more on Sotapanna and Sotapati and everything. So Sota is usually translated as something like stream or flood or torrent, but it's like a body of water. And so that's where the Sota comes from. And Arpana is usually uh, referred to entering upon or entered upon, fallen into, possessed of. So when you put Sota and Arpana together, you get Sotapanna. And it's one who has entered the stream, one who's fallen into the stream or possessed of the stream. Then when you have Arpati, that's like entering upon, falling into, possessing of. So when you have Sotapati, then what you get is uh, stream entry or entering into the stream, entering upon the stream, uh, falling into the stream. So something like that. And then uh, Sota Yanga, Yanga is, uh, so Anga means constituent part, quality, factor or a limb. So one of the things that is often talked about is factors or qualities of stream entry. So that's where you get Sotapati uh, Yangana or Sotapati Yanga. Uh, so uh, entering, uh, entry, stream entry, uh, factors of stream entry. So we'll be looking at that as well. So the sutta that we'll begin with before we get into Velavadriya Sutta is the Dutya Sariputta Sutta. So in fact, chapter 5, uh, 55 of the Samyutta Nikaya is all about stream entry. So if you want to read up chapter 55 of the Samyutta Nikaya, the linked discourses is excellent because it has um, all the teachings um, collected in one spot that are linked to stream entry. And you know, some are a little repetitive because, again, the Buddha is saying the same things to different lay people that he meets along the way. And, of course, there are other teachings in Anguttara Nikaya, Majjhima Nikaya, and so forth that are linked to all these. But for one area where you can look, it's chapter 55 of the Sanyutta Nikaya. So in this particular sutta, uh, this is the sutta where uh, Buddha and Venbhusari Putta are talking and they're having this dialogue. And so the next few slides are about this dialogue. So the first question that Buddha asks is, Sariputta, they speak of the stream. What is the stream? So Venerable Sariputta says, Venerable Sir, the stream is this noble eightfold path. That is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So that's interesting. The stream, when you enter the stream, you're entering the Noble Eightfold Path. Makes sense, doesn't it? When we gravitate towards the path, uh, things start to come together, beginning with right view. So that's the first thing. The second thing that the Buddha asks is, uh, Sariputta, they speak of a stream entra. What is a stream entra? And then Venerable Sariputta replies, Venerable Sir, one who possesses this noble eightfold path is called a stream entra, the venerable of such and such name and clan. And so, uh, basically, what is meant by Sotapanna, if you read this correctly, it's someone who walks or practices the noble eightfold path, who develops this path, someone in training, you know, so training in, of course, higher virtue, higher concentration higher wisdom because that's what the Noble Eightfold Path develops for us and so this is the Adisila, the Adichitta, the Adipanya that we talk about so higher virtue, higher mind or higher concentration of mind, higher wisdom and of course once you're a stream enterer and you're developing towards the other path and fruit 
then you're leaning towards Nibbana. So when you are developing the Noble Eightfold Path and the, and the things that we go through today as part of what the Buddha talks about, you're leaning towards uh, Nibbana. And even if you are already a Sotapanna, still work needs to be done. So one, one can be negligent, but it's advisable not to be negligent because you don't necessarily, once you enter the stream, necessarily bear the fruit of stream entry unless you develop. And so always Buddha is encouraging development. The noble arahants are encouraging development. And I guess that is why we are all here. We are here to listen to the Buddha's words and to keep leaning towards Nibbana, keep getting that encouragement, that reminder from the Buddha and to develop it further. And so even if one is a stream entrer, it's always encouraged. We develop more, we see more, we penetrate the truth more, we correct our view time and time again so that we can eventually uproot all the things that are keeping us to um, samsara and to the whole mass of suffering. So then the third question uh, that the Buddha asked, in actual fact in the sutta this, this one comes first, but I actually put it um, after just in terms of the sequence um, that I wanted to go through, but the Buddha actually asked this question first. And this question that Buddha asked is, Sariputta, they speak of a factor for stream entry. What is the factor for stream entry? And the Buddha says, Venerable Sir, the factors for stream entry are associating with good persons, hearing the true Dhamma, wise attention and practice in accordance with the Dhamma. So this is something that's said throughout um, the, the chapter 55, actually, in a number of suttas it's referred to. And these are normally considered, you know, characteristic qualities or factors for stream entry. So these are the qualities that lead to stream entry. And it kind of makes sense. They're not things that we haven't heard before. Um, through a number of these Poya sessions, we've referred to the Avija Sutta, which is in chapter 10 of the Angutnikaya, discourse number 61. And the beginning part of it is always about what feeds ignorance. And so when you don't associate with good persons, then you don't necessarily develop... Um, you don't necessarily want to go and see uh, noble beings and you don't necessarily then hear the true Dhamma. You don't develop, you know, con conviction or faith, sadda. Therefore, you don't have this yoniso manasikara, which is, you know, this wise or proper attention to the Dhamma. And then you don't practice accordingly. So we've heard this before. There is an insight pathway or knowledge pathway and yanapatha here. And... Uh, associating with good good people, this is Sapurisa Sangsevo. And in the Angutnikaya in chapter 4, there's a whole section from Discourse 201 to Discourse 210, where a Sapurisa is someone who, you know, keeps precepts, who has the good qualities like conviction, uh, moral shame, fear of wrongdoing, learning, they're energetic, they're mindful, they're wise. So these are those good qualities. They're the, they're the ones that people that practice dasakusala, you know, the ten wholesome conduct. They're um, people that walk the noble eightfold path or the noble tenfold path. And they definitely don't glorify themselves or belittle others. So these are the qualities of like a noble person. So when you hang around with someone like that, when you go and seek out someone like that, then you start to learn and you start to 
their good qualities rub off on you. And in the sutta somewhere it always says, uh, like goes with like. So someone who has a lot of conviction will you know, hang out with someone with a lot of conviction. Someone who's mindful will want to hang out with someone who's mindful. Someone who's energetic will want to hang out with someone who's energetic. So good qualities cultivate good qualities. And hearing the Dhamma, this is Sadhamma Savana. And <laughs> here, as we know, um, hearing the Dhamma, like in the Gosa Suttas, Anguttara Nikaya chapter 2, I think it's 125 and 126, um, right view comes from hearing from someone else, hearing from the Buddha, hearing from the Arahants, hearing from someone who's actually speaking the words of the Buddha. And then also this Yonisomanisakara, this wise attention. When we hear it and we uh, you know, discern the Dhamma, then of course it's something that will lead towards the Noble Eightfold Path. And you know, wise attention is always wanting to develop, in simple terms, it's wanting to develop what is skillful and wanting to abandon what is unskillful. And wise attention, there's a number of teachings on that. Some of them we know, but for the purposes of today, we won't go any further on wise attention. But what we can say is we're wanting to see through any wrong views that we have when we put wise attention. We heed the teachings of the true Dhamma and we apply them. Uh, so that's why Yonisomanisikara, this wise attention leads to you know practicing in accordance. So the practice of the Dhamma is practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, practicing to develop good conduct, you know, virtue, in order to then be able to concentrate the mind, to rid ourselves of defilements and things which are blocking us, the hindrances, the nibbalanas that are blocking us from seeing the truth, and then to develop wisdom, because it's through wisdom that everything else starts to fall in place. And these things are also spiritual faculties, they're powers, they're also part of um, bringing together the enlightenment factors. So that's why uh, these are the, the factors that lead to um, stream entry. So this practice in accordance with the Dhamma is Dhamma nu Dhamma Patipati. That's, you know, you really start to cultivate the path. And of course, that's going to lean you towards Nibbana and also help you to enter the stream. So what you find in most things, and you'll find this also in the sutta that we're going through today, is these four things that Buddha says that one must have. So um, the four things are perfect confidence in the Buddha, perfect confidence in the Dhamma, perfect confidence in the Sangha, and virtues dear to the Noble One, so Aryakanthasila. So when it comes to uh, stream entry, when you have these four things, the safety that stream entry brings is that you're no longer bound to lower realms. You have a fixed destiny and uh, Nibbana is something that will be the eventual destination. So it's something quite valuable and precious. And we'll go into those four things when we get into the sutta that we're studying today. And so the reason that this is said, and in, in, in chapter 5 again, 255 again, you know, the Buddha says you give up the opposite things when um, you have these four things. So what you give up is you give up any distrust that you have or the lack of confidence over Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, and you give up um, unwholesome conduct, you know, the, the part that is unvirtuous. When you enter the stream, you start to develop um, these wholesome things. 
And then of course, usually before um, one enters the stream, you have more fear around rebirth because you, you worry. And this is why lay people always ask the Buddha, what can we do as householders? It's because there's a fear of ending up in lower realms, in places of woe and, and a lot of suffering. So when you enter the stream, you've actually transcended uh, lower realms. And so there is a sense of relief, but it's not the relief that means, okay, I'm going to be negligent. It's a relief that says, okay, I will attend to the task because I know that the Noble Eightfold Path is very important and to develop further and then to help others. And so it's also seen as a stream of merit. That's the other thing that's said about our stream entry. And another phrase that the Buddha uses is, is footprints of the gods. You know, this is something that the devas and the brahmas are, you know, delighting when, when, you know, people enter the stream. And then, of course, it's uh, a flow on to the ending of defilement because you start to uh, cultivate the path that ends defilements. That's why we do things like Vatupama Sutta, Anumana Sutta, all these suttas that help us to clean. And, and when you enter the stream, it's no different. You still cultivate it in that way. And then, of course, one is said to be prosperous, you know, because this is the wealth that the Buddha talks about. Now, I included this other one because uh, there's a, also a different set of four that also has the, the refuge in the, in the triple gem, but the last one is changed. Sometimes you come across uh, some of the suttas have this, where the Arikanthasila is replaced with something more the lines of generosity, so one dwells at home with a mind devoid of the stain of stinginess, so you don't have the macharya. And you're freely generous and open-handed, and you delight in renunciation, relinquishment. You're prepared to give up for others, and you're devoted to charity, and you delight. You get, you get the happiness out of giving and sharing. So the happiness just doesn't come out of personal uh, sukha, but you actually get it from... Um, giving to others. And so this is the other way that uh, sometimes presents itself in the suttas. And so the other thing that you might come across is the blessings of stream entry. And what's said here is that uh, one of the things, of course, is always that you're not liable to be bound to lower realms anymore when you develop the four things, particularly around uh, refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, perfect confidence in Buddha Dhamma Sangha then uh, you also, and also Arikantasila. But um, it says that a blessing of stream entry is that you're endowed with long life. So in terms of uh, long life, this is the Ayu. And then uh, beauty, which is the Sukha, oh sorry, the Vanna. And then um, you also have uh, happiness, which is the Sukha, the fame, which is the Yasa, and the sovereignty, which is the Adipateya. And so this is in both celestial and human. And basically, uh, when you develop this, then uh, this is something that is somewhat of a blessing. So now we look at the Baluberya Sutta. And we'll focus on basically uh, what's been asked and what the Buddha has answered. So this was a teaching that was given to householders. So that's the important thing. It's for lay people. And these were the Kosalans who uh, resided at Bamboo Gate. And that's where the name of the Sutta came from. So they'd heard very good reports about the Buddha, his teachings, and also his retinue of Sangha. And in hearing this, 
when you read the sutta, you get an idea that they, they have some sort of confidence. They have a little confidence to go and ask the Buddha, a little confidence to want to know the teachings. You know, so there is some sadda there and also what they've heard about the Sangha. So there is some sadda there. It may not be the full sort of perfected um, conviction or confidence in, in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, but there's a little there for them to go towards the Buddha. Then um, basically you can see even the factors of uh, stream entry are here because they're gravitating to Sapurisa, you know, Buddha Dhamma, Buddha, the Sangha, the noble ones, they're, they're good people. And they want to hear the, the teaching. And uh, during the teaching of the Buddha, they'll be able to apply Yonisomanasikara, this wise attention. And then they'll learn how to practice it. So you already see some of the leaning towards these factors of stream entry. And so they, they specifically wanted to know how to dwell as lay householders, how to stay at home, but still after death be reborn in a good destination because they've heard you know, that the Buddha teaches about this. So that was basically their intent. And of course the Buddha agrees to um, give some Dhamma instructions that they can apply for themselves. So the important thing about this sutta is that this is one of self-application, that you can apply this sutta on your own from the instructions of the Buddha. You don't need to go and seek out anything further. So that's the beauty about this sutta, that it can be self-applied. And the Buddha says in this is that if you possess seven good qualities and four desirable states, so the four desirable states are the uh, refuges in Buddha Dhamma Sangha and the Arikanta Sila, the virtues dear to, to the noble ones, then you can declare yourself a stream enterer, you know, that, that you have attained at least the path of a stream enterer. So the question that the uh, Kosalans have asked the Buddha is Master Gautama, we have such wishes, desires and hopes as these. May we dwell in a home crowded with children. May we enjoy uh, Cartesian sandalwood. May we wear garlands, scents and salves. May we receive gold and silver. And with the breakup of the body after death, may we be reborn in a good destination, in a heavenly world, as we have such wishes desires and hopes, let Master Gotama teach us the Dhamma so that we might dwell accordingly. So, this is essentially, like, if we put this into modern terms, this is like us going to the Buddha and saying, Buddha, uh, Venerable One, uh, we, we would like to stay as lay householders uh, and not ordain, but we have all these, you know, hopes and desires, you know, if we're children, then, you know, we want to study, we want to make a good life for ourselves, uh, we want to, you know, eventually have a family and, and do good things, you know, and as, as adults we'll say, oh, we want to do well in our jobs, we want to, you know, have some wealth and, and well-being, but all of us, you know, whether we're young and old, we, we basically plead with the Buddha to say, please teach us something where we can stay as lay householders, develop this life and have these wishes, uh, but still, you know, at the end of our lives, end up in a good destination, like not be bound to any more of these lower realms. So essentially it's the same thing that we would ask the Buddha. And of course there are all these other things that we would include in that, you know, such as material possessions, you know, being around our loved ones and so on and so forth. And these are the ingredients of lay householder life. And so we're asking how do we do that? 
And so to summarize what the Buddha has actually said, uh, the Buddha's actually said, you know, there are seven good qualities, okay? And so these seven good qualities are essentially, you know, good physical or bodily conduct and good verbal conduct. So as we know from our learnings before, the physical conduct is around, you know, not killing, not, not taking what hasn't been given and not, no, no sexual misconduct. In terms of verbal conduct, it's... Uh, no false speech, no harsh speech, no divisive speech, and no frivolous or empty speech. But in this particular uh, self-application or self-examination, the Buddha actually talks about threefold purity, and we're going to go through that. And this threefold purity is really around um, applying it to ourselves that we reflect on our own purity. And there's a method that the Buddha gives us, a bit like holding up a mirror to ourselves. Then the second one around this threefold purity is encouraging others to pur purify. And then the last one is praising the fact that purification is a good thing. Now, the wholesome physical and verbal conduct, these seven good qualities, this is essentially the same as what we do in the Metta Bhavana, this Uju and Suju. We look at our conduct and we and we clean it. So it's it's nothing terribly new you know all of us have, have learned this karaniya metta so it's nothing new it's the same as those aspects of dasakusala the ten wholesome conduct these are the physical and verbal aspects of them so it's nothing new there but the the method that the buddha uses is very interesting because this threefold purity uh this tikoti parisuddho is actually something very powerful and, and it's linked to this arikantasila you know it's part of the noble eightfold path really and it's the part that is actually about virtue. And threefold purity is taking it up to a higher level of virtue. So it's important to see that because when you have higher virtue, eventually it will lead to higher concentration of mind because you abstain from certain things, you, you correct your view, and then also uh, it leads to more wisdom. And that's one of the things that, you, that we'll see when we come to looking at other parts of uh, chapter 55 of the Sangyutta Nikaya in reference to, to stream entry. So when you have this threefold purity, it's, it's basically saying three times the seven ty types of conduct. So that gives you 21 parts um, to, the, to, to the seven good qualities. And then the four desired states, this is uh, essentially uh, what we were saying before when we glossed over it. It's the perfect confidence in the Buddha, so it's unshakable, unwavering. Perfect confidence in the Dhamma. So again, it's unshakable, unwavering. And perfect confidence in Sangha. You know, unshakable, unwavering. And, you know, this is a, a bit like the practice of Buddha Nusati, Dhamma Nusati, and Sangha Nusati. And then uh, the last one is the Arekantasila. So the, the virtues which are dear to noble ones. And so we'll look at, at that a little more. So when you look at this, we'll bring it back to the Buddha's non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion path. We've seen this before, but this is a visual presentation of you know, how it falls in. So when we practice refraining from taking what hasn't been given, when we refrain from sexual misconduct, when we refrain from false speech or lying, then that's the non-greed path. And then when we uh, practice refraining from killing living beings, so not taking life, refrain from harsh speech, refrain from divisive speech, this is the non-hate path. 
And then the last one, of course, is, you know, when you refrain from frivolous speech, this is the non-delusion path. So this is how things come together when we, um, you know, start to cultivate good virtue. It's a, it's a reminder, again, this is non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion path. And so this is another visual representation of the Noble Eightfold Path. So this is what the Buddha has called, or the, or the Venerable Sariputta has answered as the stream. And of course, although we're looking mostly at sila, and particularly adhisila, it always begins with right view, because you wouldn't uh, cultivate and develop uh, wholesome conduct unless you had right view, unless you had the, the idea from Buddha that there is uh, cause and effect from our actions, that kamma ripens uh, when, when we do certain things. And so, you know, it begins with right view. The reason why we keep our precepts, why we train in, in virtue is because it, it begins with right view that whatever we do, whatever actions we do, we are the owners and the heir of them. This body right now was created out of past karma, past actions. And if we don't purify our conduct, then we are heading towards more of the same. And so that's why the stream is very much cultivating that and so when you have the right view around these things you have the right intention which is to renunciate to stop uh, breeding and cultivating ill will and to stop uh, cultivating you know cruelty harm you know harm to others because that is inherently our nature when we have the wrong view when we misapprehend what this whole existence is about then we breed the wrong kinds of thoughts and intentions and therefore we don't cultivate the wholesome conduct. But when we enter the stream, then we have this right view, we have the right intention, and so we make effort towards the right conduct. And when we make that right effort and we remember to do so, that we have this mindfulness to do so, then of course the right concentration comes about. So that's how the Noble Eightfold Path, the stream actually activates. So we can look at, firstly, physical conduct as part of the good qualities. So we'll read some of the Buddha's words one by one. Now the thing about physical conduct to remember is that this is where we misapprehend form, rupa. You know, because a lot of these things around killing living beings, taking what isn't given, and sexual misconduct, it's when we misapprehend this body, when we misapprehend form. So in the back of your mind... Uh, think about that because we see suba you know we see something as pleasing as fair as beautiful instead of seeing our suba that it is subject to aging and decay that it's not necessarily beautiful it can be quite foul there's impurities there and so that's something at the back of our minds when we go through this when we think about why we can't keep our sila why we keep going through endless rebirths with with such poor sila it's something to really um, embrace. And it may not come straight away. For some of us, it's already there. For others, it may need some more time to develop. But the way to develop is through the Buddha's words. And so the Buddha says about refraining from taking life, from killing. So the first part is really around this self-reflection. So what's in these boxes is really about number one of the threefold purity. It's about the self-reflection. And so the Buddha says... I am one who wishes to live, 
who does not wish to die. I desire happiness and am averse to suffering. Since this is the case, if someone were to take my life, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. Now if I were to take the life of another, of one who wishes to live, who does not wish to die, who desires happiness and is averse to suffering, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to them either. What is displeasing and disagreeable to me is displeasing and disagreeable to them too. How can I inflict upon them what is displeasing and disagreeable to me? So essentially this is around, you know, we don't want to be killed, we don't want to be harmed. And so if we don't want to do that, we don't want others to do that. Um, we, we don't want other, we, others won't want that to happen to them either. And so we are actually putting ourselves into the position of another person. And when you start to reflect in this way, it's like holding up a mirror. We've actually done something similar in the Anumana Sutta. The Buddha and both, uh, also Venerable Mahamogalana, uses this kind of mirror of self-reflection to actually see, ah, you know, you infer, there's an inference to this, where you infer, if I don't like it being done to me, another person wouldn't like it being done to them. And so this is the first part of it. The second part to that is really about encouraging others to refrain as well. But the main thing in, in terms of self-reflection, if one can't see this for oneself, it's very hard to encourage others not to do the same. And so really the important part of this meditation, of this investigation, is really the first part, to really um, penetrate for oneself. And a wise monk actually has said, ask yourself the question, why is it so hard to refrain from taking life? And, you know, this is something that I can answer. You know, there are answers to this question. But it's really for the purposes of one's own meditation, one's investigation. You know, why is it so hard to actually refrain from killing? Now, the easy answer is also always to say, oh, I don't kill, kill, I don't kill living beings, I don't kill creatures and everything. But the point is that maybe we still do, and it's good to actually investigate further, to, to actually delve a little further, and even to investigate in the past why we have done so, and to really look at why we find it difficult to hold our sila. And it may not be specifically this one that is the most prominent, but for all the other ones as well, the, the other six that we're looking at, you know, why is it so hard to hold on to our sila? Now, some of the things that may come to mind, some of the answers that may come to mind, wrong view. You know, we, we misapprehend, uh, you know, this body, these forms. Uh, we're, we're attached to sensual desire. We're attached to the unwholesome. You know, we, we like to, to be negligent. Uh, it could be you know, a lot of ignorance, a lot of bad habits. But whatever the answer is, it's important in the meditation, in order to take this meditation further, is actually to ask that question. Why is it so hard uh, you know, to refrain from killing in this particular instance? And so when you meditate in this way, by the end of it, you make a very strong intention, you know, not to, not to kill, not to take life. And you, out of that, then you can, only then can you encourage others. Because 
when you have that inside yourself, when you actually know for yourself, then you can encourage others. It's not just something that you parrot out. It's genuine. It's authentic. You also see the danger of it. Now, when it comes to um, praising, again, it's the same thing. You can only praise the purification, the renunciation, if you see it for yourself. Now, when it comes to um, healing, Panatipata Veramani, you know, refraining from killing, the karmic consequences, as we know from the uh, Ducharita Vipaka Sutta, is that we will have a short lifespan. That if we kill, then the fruit of that killing at some point will be a short lifespan. So that's one thing to know. But it's also like when you look at the Buddha's words in reference to self-examination, it's to understand the pain and suffering of death. You know, this is something that we don't often want to look at. You know, death is not something that we want to investigate. It's something that some of us, you know, will want to avoid. Some of us will look at it, will look at it but some of us will want to avoid. But when you look at death, you really look at the suffering of death, the suffering of harming. And any inclination towards harming or hurting leads towards taking life. And so it's good to, to actually investigate it. Now the second one is around taking what isn't given. So the Buddha says, if someone were to take from me what I have not given, that is to commit theft, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. And then he goes on to say then, if the same thing is done, uh, you know, if you take from another, then that wouldn't be pleasant or agreeable to, to the other. And therefore you look at it, that how could you inflict that on, upon somebody else? And so with stealing, you know, this is Adina Dana Veramani. So you refrain from taking what isn't given, refrain from stealing. So the Vipaka Kamma of this, that uh, the fruit of, of killing is at some point in the future, there'll be loss of wealth that what you want to understand is the pain and suffering from loss, uh, from being having things taken from you. And you also want to cultivate an understanding of this from this bad tendency, because this is something, just like killing, taking life, we've carried through lifetimes. And, and the almost like intermediate stage of peeling away the layers of taking what is not given is to understand that further. Because that's something that if we come to rebirth, we, we still have this tendency. And so the more that you penetrate it, the more that you go into it. And it comes from the greedy part that we want to take what isn't being given. The more we penetrate it, then, then more Dhamma can be understood. And then of course, uh, once we penetrate this, again, you ask the question, why is it so difficult for me to take what isn't given? And when you look at it, you know, it can be very small things. It can be going to someone's place and just, you know, taking. They haven't given permission. Uh, or, you know, it can be other things. And so it's really to look, why is it so difficult? And the thing is to bring up one's own examples. Not to berate ourselves, but to use it as a way of penetrating the Dhamma. You know, as a way of entering and releasing something that can't be seen that we can't see and then the third one 
is refraining from sexual misconduct. So it's like saying, you know, in, in this case, the Buddha's words actually, uh, you know, for that time, if someone were to commit adultery with my wives or husband, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. Now, if I were to commit adultery with the wives of another or husbands of another, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to them either. What is disagreeable and di displeasing and disagreeable to me is displeasing and disagreeable to them too. So how can I inflict it on them? Um, what is displeasing and disagreeable to me? So again, you know, uh, as children, for example, do we like, you know, for our parents, you know, to, to have that being done? You know, when we see that, you know, in that way, the answer is no, we don't like that, you know, because it means uh, discord, disruption, breaking up of, of certain things, family structures. Likewise, as adults, cultivating this sort of thing is, is actually very unwholesome. You know, it leads to a lot of anger and, and hurt. And what we need to understand is actually that from a bodily perspective, a physical perspective, what we take refuge in in these bodies is subject to decay, subject to illness. We don't see that when we're delighting in, in sexual misconduct and when others delight in sexual misconduct. There's a lot more going on behind even uh, something as, as straightforward as, as sexual misconduct. There's something driving that and so one needs to penetrate a little further. Now, many of us won't have sexual misconduct, but the idea is not to uh, almost ignore this step, but to actually still look at it because there is something deeper there when, when you get down to the end of life and it comes to wanting to seek another body, then sexual misconduct is something that raises its, its head again because when you're searching out for another mother's womb, if you're still bound to a mother's womb, then that's where this kicks in again. And so this subject of you know, being able to penetrate you know, aging, sickness, to actually see that these bodies are subject to all of that, it may be something that protects you from going towards uh, you know, sexual misconduct, from going towards taking what isn't given in the future. And so the uh, karmic implication, like when there is sexual misconduct, what the Buddha says is uh, the fruit of it is enmity and rivalry in future. And you can see that because there's competition there. And so you look at it and, and, and understand that. So when you really penetrate it, then of course you won't encourage other people uh, in this wrong kind of conduct. You'll encourage them to renunciate, to refrain. And of course you would praise the renunciation of it. So then we come to verbal conduct. And again, you know the three steps. But the important thing about verbal conduct is actually how we seek sukha. You know, how we gravitate always to our feelings. A lot of what comes out of our mouth is when we misapprehend. And we're always seeking sukha. And that's quite deep, deeply embedded, ingrained there. So our perceptions are always a little sick. And so what comes out of our mouths is usually this false speech, this divisive speech, this harsh speech, this frivolous speech. We are always measuring things and coming up with the wrong thing out of wrong view. And so when you start to clean up, purify verbal conduct, you're starting to apprehend uh, that 
actually all of what we construct, no matter what it is, whether we're talking about things to do with form, that it's actually leading to dukkha. It's temporary happiness, but it ultimately leads in dukkha. And that's what's behind all of this. That's the deeper thing behind all of this. And so when you start with the first part of self-examination, like holding up the mirror and inferring about oneself, so with false speech, the Buddha says, if someone were to damage my welfare by false speech, that would not be pleasing or agreeable to me. Now, if I were to damage the welfare of another by false speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to them either. And so, you know, you end up saying, how can I inflict that on somebody else? So this is really around Musavada Viramani, and it's, you know, reducing the greed. And what we need to understand here, of course, is always dukkha, the harming part. False speech normally has this thing about wanting to gain something for one's own benefit. And the vipaka kamma of Musavada is being falsely accused in the future. So if you have a lot of false speech, then you can expect to be falsely accused, wrongly accused at some point in the future because you cause people pain in this lifetime, you can expect some amount of pain in the future. Then once you penetrate this, particularly around speech, it's, it's very true again. You need to actually ask the question, why is it so hard to not keep this sealer? Now, false speech is also around uh, the Noble Eightfold Path. Anything that is misapprehending, that comes out of wrong view, then you know this is where the false speech arises. Now on the Arya path, the noble path, that means we want to lean towards Nibbana. So anything that takes refuge in something other than Nibbana can be considered false speech. Now, a stream enterer is always leaning towards Nibbana, is always cultivating that which is Arya, that is noble. So it's not just simple lies, it's actually more than that. And when you start to get a glimpse with the Dhamma eye, then you, you understand that. Because you see, when you create this body, this body continues to break down. Whatever temporary happiness we have cannot be sustained. So when we make plans, when we go about our lives, it's important to keep that at the forefront. Because otherwise we keep lying. We keep you know, coming, coming back to the wrong things. And we raise other things other than this noble eightfold path. So it doesn't mean we, we, we don't live our lives, we do. But in doing so, we make sure we, we have this, this idea, this right idea towards Nibbana, towards the thing that is going to get us out of samsara, out of this whole mass of suffering. Because it's simple as this. If we are born, we are subject to uh, old age, subject to sickness and subject to death. And it's over and over again. So there's always going to be suffering. So when you penetrate like uh, false speech, then you can encourage others to abandon false speech and you can praise, you know, having true speech instead. Then it comes to refraining from divisive speech. So with divisive speech, we know this as pisunavacha. So in this practice, Buddha is encouraging pisunavacha veramani. So Buddha says, if someone were to divide me from my friends by divisive speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. 
Now, if I were to divide another from their friends by divisive speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to them. And so why inflict that? Now, as we know from Vatupama Sutta, you know, this is part of Palasa, you know, this divisiveness that we, if, if we uh, cultivate Palasa, then we have a certain level of hostility there, then of course we are delighting in discord, in conflict. We enjoy, you know, we almost like rejoice in, in splitting people up. You know, this is whether it's at home, for children at school, uh, for adults even at work and, and around our neighbours and, and community, our friends. So with divisive speech, it's really pulling away from that, not wanting to do that, understanding that we're all in the same boat, that there's already enough suffering, there's no need to do any of these things. And if we don't like this happening to us, then we don't want to inflict it on other people. So when we, we do this, it's really trying to really come to the forefront of understanding this particular defilement of divisiveness and refraining from that. And then also being able to see it makes people very sorrowful to be divided, that nobody likes to be divided. They end up in sorrow. So when you start to see that, then you can start to penetrate. When you start to penetrate, then you have the reason for encouraging others not to do so. And then also to praise, like renunciating divisive speech. Now the vipakakamma of divisive speech is in the future you can expect to be broken up or divided from friendships. So that's something, it will happen uh, as a result. If you do it now, then it will happen in the future. Now when it comes to harsh speech, this is Varusaya Vajra. So here the Buddha is encouraging, you know, if someone were to address me with harsh speech, again, this wouldn't be pleasing to me. So if it was done to someone else, it wouldn't be pleasing to them. So why, why incur, in, inflict that? And here we need to really understand, you know, harsh speech is like raising our voice, telling someone off, almost like giving verbal assault being hurtful it can veer towards anger and so this is very non-metta you know harsh speech is very non-metta in fact all of all of this is non-metta as we know because it's not uju not suju some from a physical conduct verbal conduct perspective what we don't see is how it affects somebody else that sadness arises in other people when you know, we don't actually um, uh, see what it is for another person. That when we refrain from harsh speech, it's because we actually understand. Just hold on a second. Okay. What, what we don't understand is that it's actually very sad for another person to be on the receiving end of it, to actually hear those harsh words, to actually hear the raised voice and all that. And so it's also very good to put ourselves in that position. Uh, we don't like it to ourselves. We don't like to be on the receiving end. Others won't like it as well. And so we refrain. But the thing about all these things, as a reminder, as we've said, why is it so difficult for us to develop our sila? Why do we keep breaking it? 
in the meditation itself because these things seem very straightforward when you explain them. But when it comes to penetrating, to meditating on it, that's where it really is quite hard. It's where we don't refrain. And in the meditation, when you're actually investigating each one of these seven qualities, the encouragement by the Buddha is really, why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult to do so? And the answer that will come in the meditation, not the answer that I'm going to give now, because I'm not going to give the answer, but the the thing for us, each of us to see, to understand is the answer that comes from inside when we meditate. Because that's the most powerful one. That's the reason why. And as I've said earlier, it could be a whole number of things. But for each person, there is something that is driving not being able to renunciate, not being able to keep our sila. And so that's where it becomes very, very important. If one hasn't entered the stream, this is a very powerful practice when you think about this threefold purity, this tikoti parisuddha. You know, it's very powerful. And so the encouragement is also, you know, that if you can see this, particularly like now around harsh speech, that if we don't refrain, then in future, the vipaka of it, the, the fruit of having done this unwholesome conduct, unwholesome action, is that we will hear disagreeable sounds, unpleasant sounds in the future. So it's very important to actually refrain. And of course, you know, this is the hateful path if we continue to actually keep going with harsh speech. Now the last one is frivolous speech or empty speech. And the thing with this last one is that it's difficult because it's steeped in delusion, you know, empty speech. We don't see what we do wrong at the point of empty speech. And we're all inherently subject to this. It's our nature to gossip, to uh, talk about things which are not valuable, not beneficial. It's, it's not the type of speech about getting things done, you know, the everyday getting things done. Not that, not the practical things. It's the, the addition on top of it. The stuff that we go on and on about, you know, the, the different kinds of topics that the Buddha doesn't recommend, about politics, about the police, about the news, about our neighbours, about our friends, about, about people, about family, you know, all types of topics like that. And when you look at the list of the topics that the Buddha doesn't recommend talking about, there's actually, you find that there's nothing much to talk about because when you refrain, it's almost like, well, there's nothing left. There's only uh, you know, things about the Noble Eightfold Path and only things that are practical to getting things done in household life. So when you see it like that, you realize that uh, like in terms of what the Buddha says here, he actually goes a little soft you know, in terms of being helpful to these lay people. He says, if someone were to address me with frivolous speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. Now, if I were to address another with frivolous speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to them either. And so why would you inflict that? But there is deeper stuff here because what's underneath frivolous speech is actually paridheva. It's actually the lamentation. Because mostly what we talk about, if we're really honest about it, is we're lamenting and moaning about the people in our lives, about what's happening in the world, uh, we're getting fully absorbed in the world when we're lamenting about the world. So we're 
basically going through our six senses in an external manner and we're not inwards we're very out and that's the thing that needs to be penetrated but the buddha here is actually saying you know don't bend someone's ear you know stop going on and on and and hurting them in that way with things that are not beneficial that are worthless that are you know not moderate in nature that are gossipy and effectively useless that's what the buddha is saying here but you know, given that we practice quite a lot of these things anyway in terms of uju suju in the metta bhavana and you know cultivating dasa kusala the ten wholesome states we can actually do do even more here and there's nothing wrong with doing that and so when you ask yourself the question and we we need to ask ourselves this question why do we find it so hard to break this sila you know it's it's this continual propulsion and that's where the meditation really starts to activate when we ask that question why is it so hard why is it so hard and what you might notice as we practice more and more is that it's not so bad like some of our sealers has actually improved because we continually do the karanyametta bhavana we we clean up using vatupama sutta you know we we do the anumana sutta we have all these different things in our meditation toolkit that we use so it's not so bad but we don't rest on our laurels of our practice we actually use the opportunity whether we're stream enterers or not to actually penetrate further because that's what's beautiful about this this noble eightfold path is actually taking the time to be diligent and to go together on this path you know to take refuge in buddha dhamma sangha by these words and so that's what is the encouragement here we do this self examination we penetrate a little further and when we can do that then we can encourage others you know to refrain you know the second part to this threefold purity and then we can praise the renunciation of it the third part of praising the renunciation praising you know purity is only when we actually see the benefit and same with encouraging others it's only when we see the benefit now when we have uju suju we know that we're able to cultivate metta you know that's the first part you know grade 1 of being able to do metta in metta school it's also you know we know we are walking the footsteps in the footsteps of the noble ones you know the dasakusala and What does that do to the mind? The mind gets happy knowing that we are together with the noble ones, that we are able to cultivate higher dhammas, we are able to cultivate something that we which is pleasing to other people, that we are demonstrating loving kindness to other people. And so the mind gladdens, you know, when you when you actually do this physical conduct verbal conduct in this method that the buddha has given of course like with these other meditations the mind gets happy the mind knows ah it's clean and there's no defilements there's no hindrances the mind abides and dwells in a happy place and it easily concentrates and it gets encouraged to actually go more inwards rather than outwards most if not all the meditations that the buddha gives us the instructions that the buddha gives us is always to say stop going outside for happiness stop misapprehending 
this body, these forms. Stop misapprehending feelings, thinking that you can squeeze so much sukha when actually it always turns. You always end up with dukkha because everything is subject to conditions. They're constructed. They will fail us. And so with this, this sila, Buddha's encouraging us, go inwards, go inwards, purify, go inwards. Then you can concentrate the mind. You know, so this is the adhisila. It leads to adhicitta. You know, you, you, you uh, refrain from the essential pleasures. You stay with what is wholesome. You get to the mental absorptions, the, the jhanas. You know, you, you, the mind gets happy. You don't even have to label the type of concentration. It's the mind gets happy and concentrated. It's clean. It's luminous, expansive, spacious. And then when it's like that, then wisdom comes. So as you investigate, you always notice that when you ask your mind the, the, the question, why can't I keep this sealer? It's from the concentrated mind that the answer comes. Each person's answer may be slightly different depending on where the practice is at. And so you wait for that answer to come. You be patient. You do this work that the Buddha has given us and, and you wait for the answer to come because what is really important about this meditation is actually to alleviate uh, why we keep going wrong. And it's a continuous practice. We make effort. We're energetic towards keeping good sila because that's, that's a very important part of the Noble Eightfold Path. And so just to complete this thing about Sampapalapa, uh, Viramani, when you refrain from frivolous speech, then uh, what the Ducharita Vipaka Sutta says is uh, the fruit, you won't get this fruit of people distrusting your words. So if you keep having empty speech, gossipy speech, frivolous speech, in the future, the fruit of that is, is people not trusting you. But if you refrain, then you don't have that type of fruit. And also you start to remove uh, delusion. Okay, so the next four desired states uh, is actually relatively familiar. So really, when you think about these four qualities, these four things of stream entry that are added on to these seven good things, it's nothing new. This is really taking refuge in the Buddha, so this is you know, when it says possesses confirmed confidence or perfect confidence in the Buddha, possesses confirmed confidence or, or perfect confidence in the Dhamma, and then also in the Sangha. These three are really around taking refuge. And we may think that we know them, but we need to revisit. Because Buddha Sati is really, you do the meditation that looks at the qualities of the Buddha. So you look at the Itipiso Gata, the Arahang, Samma Sambuto, Vija Charana Sampano, Sugato, Loka Vidu, Anuttaro, Purasa Dhamma Sarati, Sata Deva Manusana, Buto Bhagavati. So the Blessed One is worthy. You know, he's perfectly liberated from Sangsara. He's the Tathagata. You know, so the perfectly enlightened one, he attained Nibbana all on his own. You know, without a teacher, he realized the Four Noble Truths. 
in terms of being accomplished in true knowledge, he has the three knowledges and the 15 accomplishments in conduct. He's fortunate because, you know, he has impeccable conduct. His physical appearance was incomparable. You know, he had immeasurable com compassion, you know, depth of insight, a very unique voice, and he was greatly revered. And so in all his actions, it was one of non-harm and was very pleasant. And so he was the knower of all the worlds, and he was a very uh, unsurpassed trainer of people and, and devas. Um, so he could train in, in many, many directions. And then in terms of being awakened, you know, he could cultivate what needed to be cultivated and what needed to be destroyed. And he knew all things that needed to be known. And so he's the blessed one, you know, the highest of all and endowed with, you know, many attainments, supernormal and otherwise. And so then you look at the, the Dhamma, you know, in terms of the Dhamma, it's important the things to draw out here, Sanditiko, you know, directly visible. So this is uh, the Dhamma that can be seen in this very life. You know, it's directly visible to us. Akaliko, it's immediate. We can understand this Dhamma right now. You know, they, we don't need to delay in understanding this teaching. We can understand it right now. Ehipasiko, you know, it's, it's open to all. It's for us to investigate. You know, it's like, come and see. Let's investigate this Dhamma now. What, what the Buddha means about the Four Noble Truths. The Eightfold Path. All of it. Upaneko. You know, it leads towards Nibbana. It can be applied. It's very relevant. We can come closer. We can lean towards Nibbana. Pachatang veditabo vinyuhiti. We can experience it for ourselves. And this is what the wise people know. It can be actually individually understood. And so that's what we reflect upon. And then in terms of the Sangha, you know, these really it's about practicing the good way, supatipanna, you know, practicing the way that is good, ujjapatipanna, you know, practicing the way that is straight, nya. Nyaya Patipanno, practicing what is true, what is right, and then Samichi Patipanno is practicing what is proper. And then you have the four pairs, the eight individuals. So you have the stream enterer path and fruit, once returner path and fruit, non returner path and fruit, and then the arahant path and fruit. And so these types of beings, you know, the ones that practice in this way, they're worthy of gifts, ahuneyo. Worthy of hospitality, pahuneyo, dakineyo, worthy of offerings, donations, anjali karaneyo, worthy of anjali, we can respect them, we can revere them, we can salute them in that respectful way. And then the last bit, anuttarang punyaketang lokasati, it's, you know, they're the unsurpassed field of merit. And so this is the way, it's, it's not just something that you bank. It's something that can be meditated on. You take these words. You know, if we chant them, then we know these words. You reflect on them. You reinforce. You develop faith and confidence. You develop conviction towards it. Very much this aspect of stream entry is about really developing the indriya of sadda. You can really see it because 
uh, you know, these this four uh, aspects of, of stream entry, it's really about developing sadhana, you know, confidence in the path, confidence in the teachings, confidence in the Buddha, the Sangha, those that practice this. And then the fourth thing is possessing virtues dear to the noble one. So we've covered this. You know, these are the virtues that we've been developing in the first part, these seven good conducts. So these are the virtues developed as part of the Noble Eightfold Path. And in this aspect, this Arya Sila, what we're trying to do is develop it, maintain it. It, it we want it to be unbroken, you know, uh, untorn, unblemished. So there's no holes in our sila. You know, there's no uh, things that can be uh, bring us down from that. And that's why the things that support Arikantasila are things like the Vatupama Sutta, the Metta Bhavana, the Anumana, the Saleka Sutta. These are the things that help us to maintain Arikantasila. And so all these things that the Buddha is saying here is that, you know, they're praised by the wise. They're, you know, we don't have the wrong view around even the sila, because at some point we even let go of sila in order to release ourselves towards Nibbana. But for the time being, it's part of our raft. We develop it in order to bring this higher concentration. And so Arikantasila leads to this uh, concentration, Adichitta and eventually Adipanya. So that's basically all of that. And so what the Buddha says at the end of this is that this is the declaration that when householders, the noble disciple possesses these seven good qualities and these four desirable states, if he wishes, he could be himself, he could by himself declare, I am one finished with hell, finished with the animal realm, finished with the domain of hungry ghosts, finished with the plane of misery, the bad destinations, purgatory. I am a stream enterer, no longer bound in purgatory, fixed in destiny with enlightenment as my destination. And that's the beauty about this sutta, that you can apply this teaching for yourself and you can practice it, develop it, cultivate it. And through this, you can declare, Sotapanna, that you have entered the stream of the Noble Eightfold Path. And... From there, it's not the end of it. You keep developing. If you keep developing, then you can realize the fruit of stream entry. And when that happens, then you are no longer bound by certain fetters and there are certain benefits that can be realized. So quite a, a marvelous teaching from the Buddha and, and for, for lay householders, quite an encouragement. And so we have other supporting suttas to that. You know, as I was saying before, Buddha does call this the mirror of the Dhamma. And uh, there's a sutta in chapter 55, Discourse number 8, where he actually says that when you, particularly these four things about stream entry, the perfect confidence in Buddha Dhamma Sangha and having the Arikantasila, the virtues dear to the noble ones, then you can make that declaration. But it is known as the mirror of the Dhamma. And so when you uh, keep practicing, when you keep practicing and developing uh, as a stream enterer, you can realize certain benefits. So these benefits are in the Anisansa Sutta, which is in Anguttarikaya chapter 6, Discourse 97. And here the Buddha says the six benefits 
when you realize the fruit. So you don't initially realize these. It's still, once you're a stream enter, once you've entered the path, you keep developing uh, the path of a stream enter, and then you realize the fruit. So the first thing is, one is fixed in the true Dhamma. So you actually know what is the, the true teaching, and so you are attending to it, and that is what you, you focus on. The second one is you're incapable of decline, so you no longer have to worry about um, falling down, particularly lower realms, lower births, those sorts of things. Now you could still come back to mother's womb, but if you practice further, particularly towards anagami, particularly even karaniya metta, then you won't necessarily come back to a mother's womb. The third one is one's suffering is limited or restricted. So because you're only limited now as a sotapanna to the maximum of seven births, it can be less because there's three different types of sotapanna. But if it's the maximum of seven, then that's only seven lifetimes of, of suffering as opposed to countless ones. And so that's why um, your, your, your suffering is limited. The fourth one is one comes to possess knowledge not shared by others. So you, the knowledge that you, you possess is the knowledge of uh, knowing about the path. And so those that are putujana or away from the path, then they don't have that kind of knowledge. They don't have the knowledge of the Four Noble Truths, the Noble Eightfold Path, and so on and so forth. And then... Um, and then when you have, and then when you have, apologies about the sound. There was something wrong with the, the what I plugged in. Apologies if that wasn't well heard. Um, and then when you have the um, fifth one, it means you start to see causation. And so this causation is really around. Uh, knowledge about what arises and what ceases and that things are caused by other things that when you have uh, certain causes certain things come to arise and so you really start to see that and this really com comes with more of the development of the path and then the second uh, the last one the sixth one is when you clearly see the phenomena of what arises and it arises from a cause and so this is really about arising and passing away. When you really start to penetrate the Four Noble Truths, this is seen. Even the Paticca Samuppada, this is also really seen. So these are some of the things that um, are the benefits of, of stream entry. Okay, so now we come to... Um, there's this Dhammapada verse that I just wanted to go through just to complete uh, what we're looking at. Can I just double check that you can hear me clearly? Is the sound a little better? Okay, Ping, thank you. Alright, so it's the story of Kala and this was... Um, uh, actually not this one sorry I haven't got to that slide yet this is actually about Venerable Sariputta to Anatta Pindika 
So this was just a statement that Venerable Sariputta had made, which is actually quite beautiful. It says, Whoever has conviction in the enlightened one, unshakable and well-established, and good conduct built on virtue, praised and dear to the noble ones, when one has confidence in the Sangha and view that has been corrected, they say that one is not poor, that one's life is not empty. Therefore the wise, remembering the teachings of the Buddha, should be devoted to conviction and virtue, to confidence and insight of the Dhamma. And, and that's, that's the thing about stream entry that, that's really beautiful, that one is safe. Buddha, or in this case, Venerable Sariputta says, you know, we're not poor. You know, it's not in the sense of the Dhamma. In the sense of the Dhamma, we're actually quite rich and our life is enriched and therefore it's not empty and we're safeguarded. And so when we continue to build that confidence in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, that we have more conviction towards the path, that we understand the reason behind virtue, and when we do that, we're able to concentrate easily, then the insight comes you know, from the Dhamma, which is the most important thing, because that's how we're going to uproot the taints. That's how we're going to actually complete the path. So those are some inspiring words from Venerable Sariputta to Anathapindika. So then we come to uh, the story of Kala, which is what I was going to launch into before. So this is the Dhammapada verse, number 178, and it's known as the Anathapindika Putta Kala Bhattu. And so it's a story about his son. It's always nice to, to, to have a little story from the Dhammapada commentaries and we have the Buddha's words that we're going to, to go, go, go across. But Kala was, you know, uh, this Anathapindika's son. So Anathapindika is the well-known, wealthy lay supporter. And so Kala used to stay away from the Buddha and also the monastery whenever um, he could. So whenever the Buddha visited his house, whenever the bhikkhus came to visit the house, you know, Kala would stay away and he didn't want to go visit uh, the monastery and observe seal or, or even to hear the teachings. And so Anathapindika, of course, was quite concerned. You know, when you have a loved one, you become quite concerned because you want to save them. You want to make sure that they, they won't go to lower realms. So he had the same concern over his son's behavior. He could see that there was some avoidance. And so he was, re you know, quite worried that he would be reborn in lower realms. So what he did was he decided to entice Kala with the promise of money, so essentially a bribe, to go to the monastery and listen to Dhamma. So Kala accepted and he went to the monastery, but he avoided all the teachings of the Buddha. So the Buddha was there and Kala didn't want to go and listen to the teaching. And he came home early. And when he came home early, Anathapindika offered him some food, but Kala immediately wanted the money. You know, So that was how severe it was. And so the next day, Anathapindika decided to try again. And he said to his son, if you go um, and learn a verse from the Buddha, you go to the monastery, I'll give you more money. And so he promised a, a, a higher amount. So Kala consented, you know, enticed by the bribe, enticed by the money. And he went to the monastery again. And this time he went to the Buddha and asked to learn a verse. So the Buddha gave him a short verse, and we don't know what that verse was. But at the same time, Buddha, in his mind, he willed him to be unable to memorize it. And so in the end, Kala 
you know, had to repeat over and over again many times the process of memorizing this, this verse. And through that process, and it appears that it goes into the night that he was trying to memorize this verse, that he came to actually understand the meaning of that verse. And so he realized the fruit of stream entry. So the next morning he followed the Buddha and the Sangha, the bhikkhus, back to his own house. And along the way he was feeling hitty. He, he felt some shame about having to be bribed, having to be offered money in order to go and visit the monastery, hear the Dhamma and you know, approach the Buddha. And so he didn't want the Buddha to know that he had been bribed. And his father, upon their arrival, offered dana to the Buddha and the bhikkhus. And he also offered some food to Kala. And later, Anathapindika, he went to give Kala the money, the promised money, but Kala refused. And when Anathapindika pressed him to accept the money, you know, Kala further refused it. And later, when Anathapindika went to the Buddha uh, and spoke to the Buddha about it uh, and remarked on the change in his son, the Buddha actually said this verse that soul sovereignty over the earth or going to a heavenly place or domination over the entire world, the fruit of stream entry is the best. And essentially, you know, Buddha is raising uh, the fruit of stream entry over all other things that we could rule the earth, that we could go to heavenly realm uh, or we could have domination, you know, over the entire world that stream entry is still the best. And so that's what the Buddha is emphasized. And that's, that's a useful reminder for us that whether we're children, whether we're older, that if there's some kind of avoidance that comes at times, we need to remember this, that the fruit of the Buddha's teachings, whether it's stream entry or more, that that's where the fragrance is, that's where the wealth is, that's where the, the non-poverty is. You know, that's what is superior, that is what is the best, that we must actually remember that. And so we don't veer from the path, we don't delay, uh, because that's what comes along. We get challenged to delay our path, get absorbed into worldly activities as lay householders, that always remember that um, it's good to persist, not take it for granted. So then we come to meditating and practicing. So there's nothing particularly new here to say. It's just to consolidate what we've been through. And this slide basically looks at, you know, the two parts. So the first part is this mirror of the Dhamma, looking at our good qualities. Good way to remember is always this uju suju uh, that we've been doing, being straight or upright and being very upright in our conduct. And using the threefold purity to do that. And to remember that, you know, as we were saying, why is it so difficult to hold on to our sila? That even if we have sila, why do we break it? Which areas do we break it? This is the part that's very important in part one. And then, you know, making strong intention to keep our sila, making strong intention to encourage others, you know, because we become sapurisatara. So a good person is one that practices what is good. A sapurisatara is a superior person because you encourage others. So that is part of the Buddha's teaching is to be sapurisatara, to encourage others. And then the third part is always to 
rejoice, praise, you know, having uh, these good qualities and seeing them in others. And then the second part to the practice or the meditation is, is these desirable states. So it's taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha, and maintaining this good sila that comes with Uju and Suju, that comes with these good qualities. That, you know, if we keep developing Aryakanta sila, these noble virtues, then what happens is we can develop further. You know, this Adisila equates to Adichitta and Adipanya. So that's what we want to do. We want to penetrate more Dhamma. So whatever other meditations, other practices we do, that's where we develop from. This is our foundation, our base, and we are safeguarded. And so in the same way, this is something we can, we can share with other people that who also want to enter the stream. Okay, so that's all for this uh, session. So are there any questions and answers? I have one question that has come in beforehand and I can go through that. But I will open it up um, to any questions that anyone might have right now. Teruan Saranai. Okay, uh, let me see. I'll go through this first question and you can see whether there's any questions afterwards. So the, the question that's come in is, when someone is sick, we have Bodhi Pujas to invoke blessings of the Triple Gem for a speedy recovery. Does that saying have a proper meaning? So that's the first part of the question. Then the second part is, please explain how to do Bodhi Puja the correct way. Is it by spreading method to all beings and not only to that person? So it's an interesting question about Bodhi Puja. I think the first thing to say is that there's nothing in the actual uh, main discourses of the Buddha that talks about Bodhi Puja in reference to sickness. Okay, So specifically in reference to sickness, there's no specific discourses um, on Bodhi Puja. However, there are numerous uh, verses in the Theragatha Apadana. So these are the legends of the Theras. And also the Therigatha Apadana. So you know, both monks and nuns. So the, the legends that is spoken about, all the Theras. So there's many, many. And what they do say about Bodhi Puja is that it's very meritorious, that they have practiced Bodhi Puja. And they have um, seen the fruit of that, that uh, good merit. So in their cases, there's no bad rebirth. That most of them ended up in, in good destinations before coming back to, to complete their final birth. So that's, that's the thing about uh, what's in the suttas. Now, what one can say generally about Bodhi Puja uh, is that Bodhi Pujas are very wholesome, very meritorious. So there's lots of punya that comes of it, and therefore you get that fruit. 
to be born in good destinations. Uh, but it's also very kusala in terms of anything towards Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So any practices that we do in terms of Buddha Puja or even towards Dhamma and Sangha, you know, it's it's very kusala. Uh, and so nothing can be said other than that it, there is punya to be gained as well as it's very kusala, particularly around Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Now, there are you know, numerous things also in the Theragatha and Therigatha um, Apadanas about the Arahants, about the Theras, where they have done all kinds of meritorious deeds uh, along those lines and then they've had very good rebirth. So that's all there. In terms of giving, in terms of generosity, you know, which is where these pujas come from, is and also the veneration of it. But in terms of generosity, you know, when we do uh, karaniya metta, you know, we, we already know that that is even higher in terms of cultivation of merit, that uh, Buddha has, has said that. And even the cultivation of even one moment of the perception of anicca, anicca sanya, that is also very, very good merit, the highest of merit, more so than even offering dhanas to Buddhas and, and even the, 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 the sangha. There's also dadato punyam pavadati, like if you take talk about generosity, the intermediate stage of generosity is knowing about dadato punyam pavadati gata, that when you do that meditation, when you reflect on all your generosity and you do it in order to chaga ditana, then panya ditana, so you make the determination for renunciation, that is a higher level of, of generosity and, and it moves through in order to then penetrate the Dhamma through wisdom and then to make that uh, strong determination for truth and then strong determination for peace. So that particular meditation is very strong. And knowing, knowing those meditations, um, in terms of generosity, they're actually very high practices. Now, back to the question, though, about sickness. Uh, in terms of sickness... What I would recommend in terms of this, uh, rather than Bodhipuja, so I'm not discounting Bodhipuja in terms of generosity and, and Kusala, but where the question actually directs us about sickness, and the question actually said, you know, invoke blessings of Triple Gem for a speedy recovery. So in terms of sickness, we're talking about recovery. Even when you talk about what we spoke about today, about Sotapanna, about Sotapati, in terms of stream entry, there is this sutta that is in chapter 55, Discourse 26, and it's the Patama Anathapindika Sutta. This was when Anathapindika was sick, and Venerable Asariputta was reminding him of his considerable accomplishments in the Dhamma. So he was actually getting Venerable uh, getting Anathapindika to reflect on those four things. So reflecting on Refuge in Buddha, refuge in Dhamma, refuge in Sangha, and the perfect confidence in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, and Arikantasila. So if you keep Arikantasila and you have these refuges and you reflect on them in terms of the noble tenfold path, so right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood right uh, effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And then you are developing that path towards right knowledge and then right liberation. 
if you contemplate in that way, what happened to Venerable, uh, what happened to Anathapindika was that his pain, he was in a lot of pain, it actually subsided. So that's one way of actually overcoming sickness. So that's uh, Sutta 26 in Chapter 55 of the Sanyutta Nikaya. The other way that we've spoken about as a group is Girimananda Sutta. So this is Anguttara Nikaya Chapter 10, Discourse Number 60. If you remember, this is where Buddha encourages when Venerable Girimananda was sick and Venerable Ananda went to speak to the Buddha and Venerable um, Ananda got this teaching from the Buddha that if he were to uh, instruct Venerable Girimananda in nine perceptions, like correcting these perceptions, and having uh, anapanasati, so this mindfulness of breathing, at the end of contemplating nine perceptions, then he would recover. So these nine perceptions was anicca so the perception of impermanence or nasting, anatta the perception of not me and mine or non-self, asubha so the perception of foulness, adhina, Adhinava sanya, so this is the perception of danger. Then you have pahana sanya, so you know the abandoning, perception of abandoning. And then viraga sanya, perception of dispassion uh, or fading of lust. And then niroda sanya, perception of cessation. Then sabaloka anabhirata sanya, so perception of non-delight in, in the world. And then sabe sankara uh, anicca sanya, so that's perception of impermanence or nastiness in all conditioned phenomena and then anapanasati. So that's a very powerful one when you're sick. And then of course, the one, the other one I would say, and of course there's many other methods, but the last one I would say is idipathas. If you develop the idipathas, this is where the metta comes in, that you really need a strong foundation in metta. And so as this questioner was saying, when you develop metta, it's not to any specific person. As you go through the stages, the steps, the grades in Karinya metta, you actually develop metta to the point of understanding that it that we are all in this same predicament. And when you understand this predicament is that when we are born, we are all subject to old age, sickness and death. When you go through the stages of Karaniya Metta, you understand that you cultivate Metta to all living beings with no exception, no exclusions, there's no defilements. You've removed all the barriers. And when you've developed it to a very strong degree, that you have a very uh, strong establishment of Metta, then you can develop Idipadas. Now, Idipadas are the basis for spiritual powers. And this is the Buddha's teaching in order to overcome illness. Uh, illness in the mind particularly but also illness in the body and when you develop these you're really de developing these higher concentrations so chanda samadhi chitta samadhi virya samadhi and vimangsa samadhi so concentration that is due to will you need a lot of metta you're actually developing metta here concentration due to mind you need a lot of metta in order to get to um, releasing yourself from uh, pasahara, particularly around uh, nutriment of contact, and then virya samadhi. You know, so this is the concentration due to energy, and you need that all along the way as well. 
and then Vimalsa Samadhi. So this is the investigation. Dana Topunya Pavadati meditation actually is actually very powerful alongside um, the Idipadas. So they go together actually when, when you start to penetrate Idipadas. But it's quite a, a high teaching. That's why um, being able to get in Mananda Sutta or even to reflect on uh, these things around stream entry is an easier way to actually overcome. So it's, it's actually very, very useful. Okay, so that, that's the answer to that question. Uh, let me just have a look at some of the messages to see what other questions. Hold on one second. Okay, the first question that's come in is, is there a correct sequence you can recommend to studying the suttas? What is the most beneficial sequence of study for a lay person to cultivate the practice? Hmm. This is an interesting question. Um, it's actually a difficult one to answer in the sense that there's a lot that is very, very useful and there is no particular correct sequence because from what I recall, you can approach Dhamma from any place. You know, it doesn't really matter which place you begin because from where you begin, you can disentangle yourself. And of course, each of us may have a particular answer where we go, oh, you can start it from here or you can start it from there. And probably it's all true depending on what kind of faculties you have. And the thing about it is when you go through even this stuff around stream entry, what you find is that different people have different levels of uh, bluntness or sharpness to their spiritual faculties, to their indriyas. And, and so for someone with sharp faculties, you could start in a very uh, complex or or deep place in the suttas and penetrate it quite well it might come quite easily or you could be someone with blunt faculties and try to do the same but it is a little difficult you know but if you have blunt faculties you start with an easier one then yes so it's a it's slightly difficult question to answer in one sense but rather than not answer it what I would say is wherever you begin is fine so if you start with say for example you're interested and um, encouraged by say the Vatupama Sutta then that's where you start if you like the Metta Bhavana the Karanya Metta and you find yes I like that you start there so when you start somewhere what happens is you find there are pathways that lead to other ones. So if you notice, even in this particular session, we started out by saying, okay, we're going to look at the Veludvara, the Sutta. And from there, we went out to look at different parts of the Buddha's teachings, the Noble Arahant's teachings, in order to try and understand this particular practice, this particular meditation. So what I would say is wherever you start, look for like suttas in order to understand. And always I would encourage, particularly for lay people, Noble Eightfold Path is always very important. That if you can understand the Noble Eightfold Path, that you understand what is the right view. You know, that's where we all begin. 
that's also very important. Um, and don't be discouraged if you find it difficult to begin with, that it doesn't really matter that you start wherever you can and you go from there because all of them come, come back again to themselves. So when we discuss Dhamma, they always come back to the same thing. They always come back to the Four Noble Truths, the Noble Eightfold Path. So you can start there and, and reach out because everything actually culminates in that. No matter whether we're talking about different listings of things, whether it's different spiritual faculties, different powers, uh, different, uh, even the Idipadas, these bases of spiritual power, the Bojangas, the enlightenment factors, they all end up in the same place because they're all helping us to complete the path, to understand the Four Noble Truths. And so that's how I would answer this question that wherever you are now, uh, keep creating pathways to the suttas through that. And uh, if I can offer anything more, please ask again. Uh, if that's not enough. Okay, so the second question is, is chanting more meritorious as well? I live my life according to the Dhamma, practice the teaching and try to meditate as much as I can. I, I, can. I don't chant very much, but I listen to Paritha every day. But I wondered if chanting should be done as a regular practice too. A, it's a useful question because chanting is very meritorious but what is the most meritorious about chanting is actually understanding what is being chanted so for example you can have chanting on in the background and it can invoke certain good um, qualities you know that it invokes uh, this this refuge in buddha dhamma sangha particularly if you understand it particularly if you can penetrate what these words mean, then yes, it's even better. Now, chanting as a practice is very important for reciting, for memorizing. So I would encourage, like for all of us, that if we can memorize certain verses, if we can understand the verses that we're memorizing, it's even better because that's how we become more learned. So when you think about the quality in the Seka Patipada Sutta, of Bahusutta, which is one is very learned, one hears a lot, knows a lot, then this is where we start to develop this particular good quality. Because it's one of the good qualities that, that helps the seeker, the trainee, on the Buddha's path. So chanting as a principle is very meritorious, but it becomes even better when we can recite it, when we can recite it even in front of us or we can recite it knowing what it means and then we can recite it from memory in order to meditate on it because all the all the chants like the Karaniya Metta Sutta they're actually meditations they're actually insight pathways they actually help us to penetrate and lean towards Nibbana and so if you take chanting in this way then it can be very useful and when we know it in this way, we can share it with others. And so this is something that also helps to sharpen our faculties so that it makes them less blunt. So, yeah, that's how I would answer that one. If you need more, again, if you want me to elaborate, please ask a little further. Uh, okay. 
Okay, someone has just made a comment that they listen to the Girimananda Sutta and Bojangas every day and they're caring for their husband and but the chanting is limited. I think the main thing is actually around Girimananda Sutta is actually to penetrate these perceptions. When someone is sick, that if you understand at least the first few of the, the perceptions that is in the Girimananda Sutta, it's very good. So they get more complicated as we go through the Girimananda Sutta. But in the, in the initial instance, we can actually understand it um, quite well. You know? So if you understand you know, Anicca that we are all subject through these five aggregates of clinging, uh, that we don't last, that there is a samudaya, you know, a rising, and that there is a passing away. This is essentially Samadhi Bhavana Sutta, that because of dukkha, you know, that we don't last, it's disintegrating, it's false. And the Pena Sutta also says the same thing, it's empty, it's void, it's without substance. We can't hold on to any of these aggregates, and so there's no point. So that's the first one. The second one is Anapasanya. When we see it as unlasting, why do we think it's valuable? Why do we take it as me and mine? Particularly the, the external sense bases, and then we go inward to the internal sense bases. And so you're really trying to essentially uh, penetrate uh, these datus that actually is nothing there, you know, not worth taking as me and mine. That with birth comes this whole mass of suffering. And then asubhasanya. You know, so you really, anicca, anatta, asubha, asubhasanya, of course, you see the impurities, you see the foulness in nature, you know that it's not worth taking refuge in. We always colour and try and think that there's more there, but there's not more there. So Girimananda, you know, there's these nine perceptions and it leads to um, Anapanasati, there's quite a lot there, but the thing is actually to try and penetrate the truth of this Dhamma. Another way if, if, if one is sick is also to look at that sutta that I was saying around stream entry and the cultivation of the Noble, Eightfold, uh, noble Tenfold Path. But even Noble Eightfold Path is also useful. That if you have refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, that if you can do the Buddha Nusati, the Dhamma Nusati and the Sangha Nusati, and you can look at the, the sila, if sila is being developed and maintained, this is an easier way for someone who is sick to actually say, I'm on the path. So I'm not sure about the circumstances for the person who is sick, but you can encourage them towards the path. And maybe even these things towards stream entry if this person isn't inclined, but actually to uh, help them. This one about uh, Patama Anathapindaka uh, Sutta, which is in uh, chapter 55, that's my reference. Discourse number 26, that may be quite useful if, if someone is sick, uh, maybe an easier way uh, rather than Girimananda Sutta. But see how you go. If you need more, please feel free to ask again. Okay, what else do we have? All right, so that's all the questions I have uh, that have come through in terms of messaging. Is there any further questions that anybody wishes to ask or any comments, any encouragement, any reminders?
Oh, okay. Could you please mention the sutta in terms of Anatta Pindika Sutta? Uh, Anatta Pindika Sutta for the sick. Um, so there's this uh, Patama Anatta Pindika Sutta. So this was uh, chapter 55, discourse 26. Let me just see whether I can pull up that verse. Bear with me one second. Yeah, so this is the verse. Whoever has conviction in the enlightened one. So this is the Sadda in Buddha. Unshakable and well-established. And good conduct built on virtue. So the Arekantasila or the Uju and Suju that we've been going through. Praised and dear to the noble ones. When one has confidence in the Sangha and view that has been corrected. They say that one is not poor, that one's life is not empty. Therefore the wise, remembering the teachings of the Buddha, should be devoted to conviction and virtue, to confidence and insight in the Dhamma. So this is essentially um, what Venerable Sariputta is encouraging of Anathapindika, that refuge in Buddha, you know, the qualities of the Buddha, you know, make it unshakable, that Buddha was the one that enlightened himself and then gave us these teachings that can be understood right now, that we can understand them, that we can investigate them, that we can penetrate them in this very life. And then the Sangha, those that are practicing well, those that are on the Noble Eightfold Path, that have all these good qualities, that want to hear the good Dhamma, that want to practice the good Dhamma, that want to correct the view. Yeah, so very important about wanting to abandon wrong view, wanting to establish and keep correcting uh, the wrong view and make sure it's right. And then, of course, our sila. And essentially it's as simple as that, that this is something that Venerable Sariputta has said to Anathapindika when he's sick, he was in a great deal of pain. And the reminder in this particular verse that Venerable Sariputta gave is that you reflect on it, in conjunction with the tenfold path, which is you reflect on it from the point of view of you have right view. In the moment that you are reflecting on this, you have right view, that you understand that there is karma, that whatever actions we do right now, make sure they're wholesome, not unwholesome, because they have fruit. Then you have the right intention that you refrain from uh, being not generous, one is generous, one renunciates because ultimately when you're generous you renunciate for oneself, you renunciate tanha. Everything about generosity leads to uh, cultivating an understanding of tanha. You want to relinquish at some point in the future all this tanha that we have, this craving towards central things, this craving towards coming back uh, or not coming back. You know, coming to exist and not coming to exist, we have this kind of uh, incorrect view. Then you abandon the ill will, you abandon the cruelty. And so you correct the intentions, the thoughts. That leads to why we cultivate this sila through body, speech and mind. But particularly in this case, body and speech, you know, our physical actions, our verbal actions. And then... We make the effort, you know, as sakers, as trainees on this path, we continue to make effort, even when we're sick, 
when we listen to Dhamma, we listen to chanting, we try and penetrate the truth, we reflect on uh, these teachings like a mirror, we self-examine, then what happens is this effort culminates in the right kind of mindfulness together, right view, mindfulness and right effort. It eventually leads to the right concentration and we're happy because at this point when you're reflecting on these things together, these four things uh, about stream entry and the Noble Eightfold Path, then one rejoices that you're on the good path and then you can further go on to say, well, you're acquiring the right knowledge. The right, you know, it comes from wisdom actually that when you have the right concentration, the mind is happy, the mind concentrates, then what happens is uh, the mind uh, develops the right concentration. Only with the right concentration, like the mental absorption, the one-pointedness, that the wisdom comes. When the wisdom comes, it's like these jnanas, these samanyanas, the right knowledge, the right wisdom. And then from there, you are leaning towards the right liberation. You won't go down. You won't go down because you heed the Buddha's words. You know them to be true. You take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. You practice well. Uh, so this is this is how you you use that. So yeah. So in in this instance, one can still do uh, Bodhi Puja. You know, it's meritorious. But these are the other things that are. Are much more succinct because in the suttas, if we heed Buddha's words, and in this case, Venerable Sariputta, uh, Pindaka, his pain immediately went away and he was experiencing a lot of pain. And same with Girimananda. Uh, Girimananda was very, very ill, terminally, gravely ill from what I, what I believe. And after Venerable Ananda went to him and repeated the words of the Buddha, he actually recovered. So these are the things that are very helpful even to the point that you understand these, you try your best to help the person that is sick and from there you grow. And if we want to do Kirimananda Sutta again, we, we can do that. So uh, if that is the case, you can request. All right, so are there any more questions? I'll wait a little bit uh, because uh, we have we've just come on just after eight in Sri Lanka. But uh, if there are any questions, I'm happy to stay a bit longer. Oh, I just missed something. It says here, uh, normally when we have Bodhi Puja is for the sick person is not there. Is it useful for the sick person? Hmm. I can't say that it's not useful for the sick person. So that, that would be my answer. That I can't say that it's not useful. And so doing Bodhi Puja for, a, for another person is not necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, but I can't definitively say that it is, a, it is a, a useful for the sick person directly. I don't know. But with all these things, usually when we make offerings to Buddha Dhamma Sangha uh, and we share merit, 
uh, these things are usually usually helpful uh, but my answer would be I can't definitively say about whether it is Bodhipuja is specifically useful for a, a sick person who's not there I, I just don't know All right, so uh, appreciate everyone's good wishes. Appreciate uh, everyone's diligence in listening to the Dhamma, to the Buddha's words. Apologies if there's anything that I have mispronounced or missaid, made any errors. They are only my own, not the Buddha's or the noble arahants. And I wish everybody, uh, you know, to to really develop and grow on this path and to continue to practice on this poya. And let me go down to my last slide. So we can actually end the session here. We can share the merit with all sentient beings. Share the merit of all our practice during this session. Wish them... Wish everybody to be free from suffering. Wish everyone to have uplifted minds, have safety and security on this Dhamma path. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you all well. Peruan Saranay.